Coming up in this episode of Salt City Code, we talk to Melissa Schmitz about how her hackathon experience led to a real-life job, what it's like working with virtual reality, and her journey from natural science to data science. My name is Karen Thorne. And I'm Kelly Corey. And together, we are Salt City Code. We'd like to take a minute to say thank you to our sponsor, Hack Upstate, for supporting Salt City Code. Hack Upstate's mission is to unite and facilitate collaboration among the greater upstate New York technology community. Twice a year, Hack Upstate organizes weekend hackathons. Developers and innovators from across central New York come to Syracuse to form teams, build projects, and win amazing prizes. It's all in 24 hours, and it's free to attend. Want to learn more? Visit hackupstate.com and get ready to code. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Melissa. Yeah, so I'm a research engineer. My title is technically Emerging Technologies Engineer because part of my work is to help bring new technologies um, at the edge of innovation into our industry. Um, and I work at the Raymond Corporation, which historically has been a forklift manufacturing company. And we still do move thousands of pounds of steel through our factories every day. But um, in the last decade or so, we've been transitioning some of our work into more um, technology-based products. Um, so we have something like iWarehouse, where people can get full analytics on their their fleet of forklift trucks, um, as well as other things like automated vehicles and, of course, virtual reality, which is something that I work on. And so for that project, I am the technical lead for engineering, um, developing, and testing new features because it is a fairly mature product at this point, but um, we still have plenty of things that we can add to it and make, make better including more truck models, because right now, um, as it stands, you can, um, we have this Pelican case that you can order with a computer inside and all these other um, VR components that you need to run the simulator. You just set it next to your truck. We have a cable that we call our S-port or simulation port, and you just plug it directly into a real truck, and um, you can run a virtual reality simulation in your headset using the actual real truck controls. So it's a pretty exciting project project to be working on, um, and it's also pretty fun to say that I get to you know test virtual reality um, virtual reality products. So yeah, that is super interesting. So is it more of a training that they do with the VR headset, or is yes. it will it be actual like out in the field? Hey, you're going to put this on, and this is how you're going to do it. So you're not in the equipment. So it is it is a training tool. So when you use, when you put the head mounted display on um, and you and you touch the controls, you see a, a forklift truck. Like you're sta- you're standing on one in real life, but virtual in virtual reality, you're also standing on a truck. And so when you use the controls, they actually move in the simulator with you. And if you look at your hands in that, because we have a leap motion um, detector on it, um, you you see your, these little. Raymond Red robot hands <laughs> to uh, control the forklift truck. So that's pretty cool then. It's 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 basically taking the actual forklift. Mm-hmm. They're on it, but and can adjust the controls. But it's like playing a PlayStation game all at the same time in order yeah. for them to train. Yeah. So we have a, a suite of different lessons that you can use to learn how to drive a forklift truck, and this is 
This is designed for a few different purposes. You might want to use the VR simulator as an interview type of tool to um, see if candidates will be proficient. So their skill so, level, huh. to check their skill yeah. level then. Yeah, to see see how, how well um, they're adapting to the truck controls. Um, but overall, it is a nice thing to have because you can train people that have never driven a forklift truck, like me, for example. I never drove a forklift truck before I worked at Raymond. Um, and you can you can crash into cones and stuff, but they're all virtual, so, you know. Um, can I ask how long Raymond's been working with VR? Yeah, so um, we've been working on this project for more than three years. We did, um, we actually released the project at um, 2018 CES, which is pretty oh, interesting, neat. you know, at, for cool. a, a conference like that to have um, a company that people would think of as a forklift manufacturer presenting mm -hmm. A virtual reality product. It's pretty interesting. Another thing that is really great about the simulator is we have a few lessons where it's teaching emergency preparedness. So if something were to go wrong in the warehouse, uh, something you, that's not something you can train people on in real life because they could get injured. So for example, if you're trying to load a truck um, at a dock and the truck uh, wasn't like blocked properly and it starts driving away um, you, can, you can't train that in real life but you can on a virtual forklift because if you were to accidentally drive off a virtual platform you're not going to get hurt um, so it that's actually kind of cool because all I can think of is those videos that I've seen before where the guy's driving the fork truck and he knocks into like shelving that is I don't even know how many feet high mm -hmm. and it they just it's like dominoes and they all fall. Oh, so it could yeah. put them in that type of situation and allow them and prepare them for something like that. Yeah. So like it could be product falling off the shelf because it wasn't put on there properly. Or maybe 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 someone did hit a rack and it nudged something. Um, so those type of situations are what we're capable of simulating in addition to just learning how to use the truck controls because certain trucks the steering axis is not in the same position as it is on a car so when you drive one truck it might like really uh, fishtail out whereas another one it might be more um, resemble it might more resemble how you would drive a car so depending on what type of truck you're using um, even just for steering you would want to have that extra training if you could it's turning and stuff like that it's going to make you possibly hit a rack or like whatever else. So um, the one truck that you're talking about, um, if I'm understanding it correctly, it's we have a few pieces of heavy equipment at myself and we have a bobcat and it's just literally two sticks and two pedals that you're navigating with. Most of them that I've encountered at least um, have like a an accelerator type of throttle um, and then the other, on the other hand, you have a steer tiller that kind of turns in a circ circular direction. And then for other really advanced trucks, like um, one of them is called our swing reach, which has like a, a turret that like, um, it reaches out, but you can also like turn it and like go dra diagonally into an aisle instead of turning the whole truck into the aisle, which is pretty cool. But yeah, it's really it's complicated really... to use those controls. So even something mm -hmm. like that would be, um, one of the candidates for why the, the VR simulator is a really useful product for people who are just starting out to learn how to drive. How long have you been working on this project? Um, so I just started at Raymond about four months ago at the time of this recording, um, so in July. And 
So I, I am still getting used to the industry because it is my first like major job out of college. But what's actually interesting to me is I think part of the reason that I got this job was because of some of my hack up state experiences because awesome. um, you know, I put I put all the projects that I've been doing with programming on my resume, of course. When I applied to this job originally, um, the description was kind of open-ended because they were looking for someone um, to continue the work on the virtual reality product that we already have, but also be part of the research group. So there's a lot of different areas that we do research in at Raymond. So it could be, you know, automation, um, energy, storage, so like new types of batteries and things like that. So when I applied for it, I didn't exactly know what I was going to be doing, but I think what, what caught their eye must have been the fact that I had a project in augmented reality that I did at um, Hack Upstate one time. Do you think that this technology will allow the, it to branch out to other companies for like heavy equipment? Mm-hmm. And to train them on, you know, like cranes and dump trucks mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a trend going on in industry, especially in um, warehousing and manufacturing and like uh, heavy industrial type of uh, industries where they're looking more towards simulators that can help people do jobs that, that could be dangerous. In our simulator, for example, if, you, if you're getting to the end of an aisle in the warehouse and you don't stop, look both ways, and honk, uh, you'll get a penalty. So um, it, it gives you a penalty that shows up like right in front of your face and kind of um, spins around your head for a few seconds so that you see oh, that's cool. that you got the penalty like right away. So, you know, I, I've also trained on real forklift trucks in the lab, which I will say that the virtual reality training that I got beforehand made it so much easier. During that training, the 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 trainer it doesn't necessarily um, isn't isn't as can't be as stringent as a, a game or like code because there's there's really stringent rules you have to make when you write game code. Um, so like ours is written in Unity, which is pretty standard for VR, um, but because of how stringent it is and like strict to the manual, like you you know. Um, if you did something wrong right away, like you don't have to wait for you to finish whatever exercise you're trying or for like the trainer to like yell at you, hey, stop, you know, like they'll tell right. you right away and you, and, it, and it's in a succinct way where you, where the penalty um, explains like what you did wrong, like um, didn't honk horn at stop, like something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it, it's descriptive enough to where you know what you did wrong and it's right away. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I wouldn't have assumed that such, you know, like a heavy industry mm-hmm. company would be using Unity yeah. to build out products. That's fascinating. Oh, yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> I didn't think that either, of course. So um, when I applied to this company originally, I, I just heard from other people that working there was a, a good place to work and it was local. So I thought, you know, I'd give it a shot and it ended up working out for the best because uh, from what I saw on the job description, which never, you know, tells you everything you're going to do right. in a job, um, I wouldn't have guessed how fun it would be. So, <laughs> so I enjoy really going fun. into work every day. It's pretty awesome. There are some areas of like maybe automation or other other things that would require, require controls where, you know, there's questions of should we use an Xbox type of controller or should we use the actual controls? And in this mm-hmm. case. 
it makes more sense for people to use the actual truck controls because they're trying to learn how to drive the actual truck. But um, I think the development of some of these, um, like the S-Port cable in particular, happened serendipitously at a meeting. Someone was just like, well, why don't we just use the trucks? Awesome. And it was like, well, that's a brilliant Fancy. idea, mm-hmm. you know? So totally. that that's how our, um, our patent-pending S-Port uh, simulation port cable came to be. Are there any plans to release a Raymond Forklift game, like as something you could play with an Xbox controller? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, not that I know of. But we, do, I know we do have like a couple, um, like cardboard VR experiences that are on YouTube. Oh neat. Um, they're obviously not as fleshed out because you don't have controls with that, but you can mm-hmm. watch it, and it's pretty cool. Developer-wise, mm-hmm. when did you start becoming, at, at what age would you say that you were interested in becoming a developer um, and you, that you wanted to pursue a STEM career? So, I mean, I've always wanted to pursue a STEM career. So um, whether it was in, in middle school, I wanted to be an engineer vaguely, and then I kind of transitioned to pre-med even. So when I started college, I was actually a biochemistry major. Um, so I've always been into STEM, and my interests in STEM have just kind of evolved to be different over time. Um, My parents and stuff weren't scientists or coders or anything. Uh, Like my parents are an administrative assistant and an accountant. I've learned over more recently over the years talking to my dad how how much uh, like like SQL and Excel macros and stuff that he actually uses in accounting, which I I honestly just didn't even know beforehand. So um, so that was there and I didn't know it. And um, my grandfather was an engineer, a mechanical engineer. He actually went to Syracuse University back in the day. I didn't have a lot of um, encouragement from other people besides him. And once he passed away, you know. I wasn't thinking about going into more tech engineering or any of those like male-dominated type of fields, sure. just because um, I don't know. <laughs> Do you it, think that your grandfather sort of influenced you to kind of go the STEM route, or had you already had interest in that before? Um, I I always kind of had an interest in it, so. Um, I remember growing up, I'd always wonder, like, how things worked. Like, I'd look at the grass and be, like, um, so fascinated knowing that, like, in these little tiny blades of grass, there's all these really cool chemical reactions happening for photosynthesis and things like that. Just, like, looking at the world around me and asking why. Um, So I've always wanted to know how things work like that. And um, so when I actually got more interested in code was in, in college, once I started taking more physics classes... I added a physics major after I took a really great physics class that I had to for my chemistry major. And um, in physics, there are a lot more, there's a lot more math and simulations that you have to do um, than chemistry. So I did start getting exposed to some like pseudocode there. So um, students might be familiar with using what's called Maple. It's a computer algebra system where you can write essentially pseudocode to solve math problems. Um, I also did, um, in one of my research projects for nuclear physics, um, I used this code called Monte Carlo Neutral Particle Code, and it's not, code is a, um, is a loose term, I guess, because <laughs> um, uh, okay. it basically looked, that type of code, it really, it, it's so supposed to model like the old punch cards in a way, so it wasn't really like a scripting language. Oh my That's gosh. cool. You know, it was wow. pretty interesting, Amazing. yeah. Um, 
Because, like, I, did, I just had to type, like, numbers that I had to already know, like, what order the numbers were and, like, what they're supposed to mean into this, like, um, text mm-hmm. file. So, you know, that wasn't super, like, it was interesting. And, like, I like talking to um, older people who have actually worked with punch cards to, like, mm-hmm. ask them, like, what they think about it because it's, it's interesting to me. But um, I'm sure I'm not alone in the experience of uh, having maybe tinkered with my MySpace profile or, like, you know, Tumblr mm-hmm. blog theme or something here and there, but not really writing code. So at at some point I was doing uh, like Code Academy, for example, something that I mm-hmm. that I worked on a little bit here and there, which did help me learn the syntax. But um, I think that's a big step, though, because yeah, for sure, yeah, for for me anyway, when I went into um, Hack Upstate's boot camp, um, careers in code, I didn't know any of it. Mm-hmm. Really? So, uh, yeah, I, I literally didn't know any of it. So they were throwing stuff out, and I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, yeah, I was fortunate that I could um, pick it up quickly, but mm-hmm. I didn't know any when I went in. Yeah, so that's definitely a resource that I'd recommend for people starting to learn how to code because, um, like, the stuff that you do on Codecademy – like is 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 definitely like more beginner stuff, but it is the foundation that you need to be able to understand that. And as much as it's not always the interesting part of coding for most people, you know, just learning how to write a print statement or something like that, it is obviously important to have that foundation and learn something else. Would you like to go from zero to full stack web developer in 24 weeks? Karen and I did. We're graduates of the first cohort of Careers in Code, a coding boot camp also sponsored by Hack Upstate. Learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and more from awesome instructors and incredibly patient TAs. If you're ready to change your career, sign up for the second cohort waitlist at careersincode.org. You can also sign up for the Hack Upstate Careers in Code monthly newsletter to receive updates, upcoming events, and job opportunities. That's careersincode.org. I really started seriously coding was more in like the fall of 2017 because I decided that um, at that point I was a senior in college and I was doing uh, some pretty cool research in uh, theoretical quantum physics but um, I was starting to realize that maybe I didn't want to go into academia like if I had been really focused on trying to go into academia for like the last few years of uh, my college years but I was getting to a point where, like, I wasn't sure if it was for me, even though I thought the topics were interesting. So I was looking into other career paths. I had I had some skills that fit into data science that, um, of course, I needed to learn the data science-specific skills. But in general, they say there's four skills. It's um, So, of course, the coding part, the statistics part, but also communication and business acumen. So... With the communication part, I've done, um, I, I wrote for our student newspaper for several years. I also had a, I've also had a blog for like almost 10 years at this point where I would write like every single day, um, not, e- not even like a full post, but like just writing, which has helped my writing a lot. Um, but, you know, it's just, and it's something that I really enjoyed. And like I took an advanced grammar and usage class for fun, which some English majors like 
that have to take it don't even want to take it, you know. Um, so I was really interested in that stuff, and I do like the communication aspect. When I was doing research, I was really interested in the presentations. Like, I had so much fun preparing for the presentations that I did of um, my research projects. So I really wanted to find something that I could do the communication part, and I have some, like, um, I guess side hustles <laughs> for online businesses awesome. here and there. Um and so I, I wanted, I, I thought it was interesting that those things combined together and a career like that, it seemed really interesting. So that's when I started pursuing data science. You know, so many people come into it from the HTML and CSS. Uh, when you said MySpace, that's kind of how I got into it, too, yeah, was yeah. definitely playing around with my profile. Um, mm-hmm. I also never thought of tech as a career for me. Um, I'm kind of a weird creative type, mm-hmm. so I didn't think that tech was something that I would necessarily be good at. Right. Um, So I just also thought it was kind of neat that you started down with, like, the punch cards and, Mm -hmm. you know, very low level. Yeah, and then I'm, like, the exact opposite because I've done, you know, like, I did, I probably have 20 years retail, and I've been in, you know, I've done some healthcare stuff, and I just got tired of the sort of, like, the same thing all the time and doing Mm -hmm. something for somebody else, and I'm like, no, I want to do something for myself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times in my most recent job it was if I called the help desk they would say well try this yeah I I already did that so everything they told me to try I had already tried and I thought why am I doing this I should just do this myself I could probably you know do it myself Mm -hmm. and then as I looked into it more I decided that uh, no I want to create whatever it is I want to write the code for it and create it and then see it work Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I ended up going my route started dating a web developer so I got to see what the job entailed yeah. what he does every day and how to create things from there and I saw that I could use the kind of creativity skills that I have to build things out of code and I liked being able to read the language of code mm-hmm. which I also thought was super interesting so that's kind of how I got into coding and also careers in code. I would attribute um, like some of my friends to getting into it more too because a lot of my friends in college ended up being you know math or computer science majors and I, before, I, I always tell people that before I got to college, um, I thought that coding was just like this, this really, you're just in a cubicle and just like sitting in front of a computer and it just seemed really boring because I didn't know what you could do with code. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a, a misconception that a lot of people have. Yeah, so um, I would see some of my friends talk about some cool projects they're working on. And um, so I, I actually met, my husband on Tumblr. No so, way. Yeah. So we both had um, physics blogs, um, sciencey blogs, and um, he would post about some interesting like stuff that he's working on with code. His his particular area of interest tends to be like encoding and translating. For example, he tried a project where he would translate um, uh, messages into sound, and then. Um, receive that sound and send it back out as a message kind of like like text messaging over sound instead of wi-fi oh that's that was cool. a project that's he was cool. working on really um, which is not like a, a practical thing probably but you know it was like it was he's like really interested in, in those like interesting ideas like what if and Absolutely. he would post about it on his blog and i got really interested in it and i was he, the, all this stuff was sort of happening kind of together where Like, I would see this stuff from my friends. Um, I would see other stuff online where people doing really cool stuff with code. And since I was, like, kind of on the edge of starting to code, I I just really wanted to jump into it. So 
with that and considering maybe going to a different career like data science, I decided that I, I really needed to shove in a computer science class before I graduate. So I took my first computer science class when I was a senior in college. That was in the fall of 2017. And so all this stuff was kind of coming together um, in, in that semester. And that was also when I uh, attended my first Hack Upstate. So I worked in IT um, for a few years in college. And some of my friends who were in IT were computer science majors and had gone before. So um, one of my friends and I decided to go. And we, we got there and it seemed really cool, but uh, neither of us really had, we didn't think our skill sets matched up in a meaningful way. And like, we weren't sure what to do. Like, even though we heard these people talk about these cool projects or like, well, I don't know how to contribute to that. Like, what do I know? I'm not a professional developer. So um, we were there, we were just like sitting in a corner and we we're gonna work on like our coding homework or whatever, because we weren't sure what to do. And then these two guys um, named Kai and Andy, they walked up to us and they're like, hey, do you want to join our team? And my initial reaction was honestly like, well, I don't know what I can contribute, but sure. (laughs) And so so we joined them and we ended up being in a team of three professional developers and three college students. So this was was at Hack Up Stay 10. Um, And this was when we we built a game we ended up we ended up building a um, multiplayer online game that's similar to Atari Asteroids, which before that I honestly didn't know what it was. Some of the guys were a little older than me, so I guess it's for um, more for their generation. But essentially, it it was a game where you would log in on your phone, uh, pick a sprite for a little spaceship, and then. Um, we projected on the screen um, like the game board. So everyone live during the hackathon, during our demo, would log into the game and their sprite would appear with their username on the screen. And um, we had HTML buttons, of course, to like move around, um, to uh, shoot um, and stuff like that. And one of the guys actually developed a function to steer using the accelerometer on your phone. So you could just like tilt your phone screen to uh, like a a controller. which that was really funny to test because he originally um, tried to use uh, like one of the original ideas he had to test that out was like GPS coordinates or, or something. Or it, it was based on GPS somehow. And like, you know, he was testing it out. And once he moved a little bit, it would just like keep spinning. And like, <laughs> so it was fun to see like those different iterations. And I mean, to that project specifically, since I was early on um, in my coding career, I didn't, I don't feel like I contributed that much. Like I edited a lot of the HTML and CSS stuff and like I tweaked a few things in JavaScript here. So, I mean, I didn't contribute a lot to like the actual like end product, but with that experience, I I don't know if I would say that though, because editing HTML and CSS, that's a time. Yeah. That's a big task in its own. Yeah. I, I wouldn't look at it as you didn't because that's a big undertaking mm-hmm. to do all that editing. Yeah, I mean, so, because, like, there was a, so we used a framework that kind of set up, like, a boilerplate for it, some of it, so we didn't, like, write it from scratch. So, I mean, that that's definitely an undertaking. It was more like, um, this is what you start with, and we added, like, we added a button, or we changed the, the background of the... Um, 
of the game board. We found this little sprites and stuff. So, you know, it definitely takes some work. Um, but um, we weren't at the point of writing all the JavaScript game logic. So that's why at the time I didn't really feel like I was contributing much. But, you know, even even if you put that aside, deciding whether or not I did enough quote-unquote work for that project, um, you know, they sat down with us and they taught us how to set up Git on our computer and like how to um, uh, pull and push code to GitHub. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I learned more about how events work in JavaScript, even though I didn't write all the code because, you know, you know, I was at, we were asking questions and figuring out how it worked. And so um, that experience was um, the first time I really saw something come from like nothing to something like really cool. Like, and I was a part of it. Like, it wasn't a, I wasn't the main part of it, but I was still a part of it. And so, um, we ended up winning that hackathon, which was really um, lucky, awesome. I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. amazing. So, and, and that's one of the things that I love about this community too. Yeah, and um, I, I've become really passionate about going to hackathons and working with um, like a diverse team of people in terms of their skills because, you know. Depending on what the project is, maybe you really do need a nice um, UI design, and like a most a lot of coders don't care about that. Like in my experience, I mean, there are definitely people who are specifically like UX designers who love that, and those people are amazing. They're not always at the events that I go to, though. So um, you know, sometimes that makes a real difference. I've been to some hackathons where I've seen people who are like amazing uh, UX designers, and like it. Like, just trying to imagine, like, what it would look like for people who don't care about the design of it versus, like, the really cool product that they help build. It's, like, it's so important. And, I mean, even, like, even people who have good ideas, those are really valuable, too. Like, just the skill of being able to take an idea, not just implement it, but also make it the minimum viable product, which is part of how you win hackathons, by the way. When you go to one hackathon... Mm -hmm. You, that's how you net. While well, the networking that is involved allows you to go to not only other hackathons, but it gives you, you know, um, resources into other avenues of being able to code and work on projects mm -hmm. and uh, even potential but jobs. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the one of the guys uh, that brought me into that team at Hack Off Say Ten when I first started. Um, his name's Kai, and. He, he knew that I was really interested in learning this stuff. So every every now and then, you know, we would talk on Skype and he would be like, hey, do you want to watch me make this app? Um, one time he was making an app um, just to annoy his friend. He called it Good Boy and it would show like two <laughs> pictures uh, like um, of dogs and you'd have to pick the, the right one. And the end picture was supposed to be his dog. So if you didn't choose that, you lost basically, like if you chose the um, wrong dog. That's incredible. I love that. Um, it's pretty, it's yeah. pretty funny concept. It is um, funny. But yeah, like, you know, he, he just sent me a message. He's like, I'm going to build this app anyway. Do you just want to watch me do it? I'll explain some stuff, uh, how it works to you. And so, so I did that. And like, there are a few instances of that where you like help me out, um, with those things. And, um, at one point, he directed me to um, a Node.js course online that I, tr that I tried to get through um, before Hackathon because I wanted to try going to one Hackathon, at least, where I tried to build something from scratch, sort of, <laughs> with, with Node, um, because that's what we used in some previous Hackathons that I participated in with him specifically, because um, 
he's he's always tried to meet up with me and work together again because um, he's a great mentor. Um, but awesome. yeah, this this one hackathon, um, I really wanted to try to learn Node before I got there. So you know, I didn't I didn't get to go through as much content as I would have hoped before the hackathon. But I was working on a course. I got there, of course, met some people and got to work with them. And we started um, building building an app and. I was very proud of myself that I at least started the kind of boilerplate of setting up a Node app. I got that done. The app that we built there was supposed to be, um, so let's say you go to a conference and you want to exchange business cards, but you forgot your business card or you don't even have one, or you want you want to just connect with people that you met wherever it is. and. Um, but you have a LinkedIn. So our idea was like that we would have an app where um, you could essentially exchange virtual business cards, but one step further, you could also directly connect with people on LinkedIn. And there's like also a map where you can find other people who wanted to connect at the conference. So, oh, that's um, handy. Yeah, yeah that's... part of part of it was um, geared towards since that hackathon I went to was um, a women in computing um, at RIT hackathon. Um, it was geared towards like finding other women at a conference because I come from physics. Um, where 18%, just like computer science, 18% of women, um, there's only 18% of women in computer science and physics. So anytime I'd go to a conference for physics, there's like barely any women there, um, except for the women in physics ones that I was fortunate to go to, of course. Um, so I just thought, like, wouldn't it be cool if you could find the other women at these events? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really interested in this app. Oh, yeah. That'd be nice to have when I go to conferences and things. Yeah, so when I was building it, um, you know, I, I run into, ran into some issues. Like, um, if you've never used the LinkedIn API before, it uses an authentication protocol called OAuth2, which essentially just, like, um, sends, sends a token over... Um, to the client and like back and forth a couple times um, in order to keep the connection secure and not pass along any personal data to the app that's um, accepting your login credentials through LinkedIn. Oh, that's actually kind of really nice though that mm-hmm. it's not sending any personal data mm-hmm. along with that. Right. Yeah. The one problem though is that LinkedIn is so secure that it's really difficult to um, like use the OAuth2 connection with the API, um, besides making like a button that says like, um, find me on LinkedIn or something like that. Because I was trying to directly, when you click, when you click the button, it would automatically connect you. Like if once you transfer the business card, you would automatically connect or something. That was the goal. Right. Okay. It was a slightly lofty goal, I guess. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so with that app, I now I'm curious, did you guys like ever develop it? Does it, is it, does it exist, or was it just for a hackathon? Um, it was just for a hackathon. Um, so this was a tough challenge to overcome, figuring out how to use the OAuth2 protocol, which I spent so long on it. And it was like halfway through the night. Other people were taking naps because mo- a lot of our team was working on the front end, and I was kind of the back end. And I could get this to work. So um, you know, I was asking some of the mentors for help, and it was just not going anywhere. So about halfway through the night, I realized, okay, this is either not going to work at all or I'm going to be so exhausted once I finally get it to work because it's a 24-hour hackathon that I'm not, we're not going to have a presentation. And let's be honest, the presentation is really important 
when you do a hackathon because mm-hmm. if you can't show people what you did, they can't judge it. So I made the I made the decision to uh, put our team towards making um, since they did, they did make a U, the the UI part that actually worked, but like they couldn't connect it to my backend because I had problems getting that um, AP, that one API call to work. So what I what I thought we would do is um, I found a like a UI design program called UX Pin where you can design the layouts and like click on them in the app kind of, kind of like um, like making it on Photoshop and being able to click through it and have a demo. Um, so I had them focus on that, making a, a demo of the product, and we worked on some of the other backend stuff like the database. Um, we hosted it on Google Firebase, and we, um, you know, made sure that stuff worked. And then I made a product video that showed what the app was supposed to do with our UI that we designed, um, the cl- like a, with a click through, just like a one minute video um, with that, and. During the demo, we showed the judges that we could transfer the, um, they typed in um, their information for like their virtual business card and then it, um, on another computer, it popped up in the database. And um, we ended up actually winning that because, um, so that, that sort of goes to show that, um, you know, I, we, weren't, we weren't expecting to win that hackathon at all. Like really all I was trying to get out of that, I wasn't trying to be competitive at all. I just wanted to build an app at, with Node. like. That's that's all I was expecting, and we were lucky enough to to win that one because um, we made the presentation um, work. And so, because the prize we won for that one was called was the most commercially viable product, so we got invited to go to Tiger Tank, which is oh, their wow. um, like business competition. That's cool for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool. I mean, um, I like most of us couldn't go because we were all in different. Um, you know, schools, because it was uh, just one, it was, it, was a, it was a hackathon, you know, not all right, of us went yeah. to RIT, so. so the two RIT girls ended up competing in that, and um, we didn't move on past the semifinals, which is pretty good, we still made it to the yeah, semifinals. Well, I would say semifinals is pretty good, though. Yeah, we made it for, to the I mean, for making something in 24 hours mm-hmm, and be able absolutely. to make it into something to the semifinals, I think that's a yeah. pretty big accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we made it to the semifinals of... Um, tiger tank which unfortunately like most of us couldn't be there but you know um so we we didn't really move on with that which kind of happens with a lot of hackathon projects i think you make something Mm -hmm. that's kind of cool and then it kind of dies out but i mean the the point of it is not always to make a business of course it's just to have that experience but um you know the fact that i was able to accomplish that with my team um you know, have set out that goal to just, like, try to make something, and then, you know, you get surprised with actually winning a prize, you know. It was a good experience. Before we sign off, um, is there anything you'd like to plug, Melissa? Um, so I do, I am starting to write more articles on Medium now, and uh, I do have an article that I wrote about my first Hack Upstate experience, um, which you can see more details on that if you're interested. And I'm also currently working on an article um, very specific to VR, but um, something that people might not think of is like, how do I protect my eyes and vision health when I'm a VR professional who has to <laughs> have the headset on uh, constantly? It's just something mm-hmm. I ran into during testing, so I'm looking to post that and also get more active on that platform as well. 
if you're if you're interested in some of the work that I do, you can also send me a message to connect on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to chat with people about that, especially you know local people who are interested in learning more about some of the opportunities that are in the central New York area. Um, I, I'm also on Instagram. You can follow me at Deeply Learning. So you know, a uh, <laughs> that's cute. That's a cute name. I just changed it. It used to be it used to be Quantum Heels, but. Uh, it's not really relevant to my career anymore, so I changed it recently, like a few days ago. Join us next time when we continue the conversation with Melissa Schmitz. If you would like to follow me on my personal learning curve journey, my website is kethorn.com, Instagram, Karen Thorne, Twitter, kthorn, and email, contact at kethorn.com. Also, be on the lookout for JS Web Development LLC as I'm starting my own business. Twitter and Instagram are JS Web Dev. I'm working on a website that should be up soon, and that's jswebdevelopment.com. And you can always email me at jswebdevelopment at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow along with my coding journey, you can follow my Twitter at keldeveloped, that's K-E-L-L-D-E-V-E-L-O-P-E-D, you can also visit my personal site, kel.dev, that's K-E-L-L dot D-E-V. And you can follow me on Instagram at kel2earth, that's K-E-L-L-T-O-E-A-R-T-H. Together we are Salt City Code. You can follow along with the podcast at Salt City Code on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach out to us at saltcitycode at gmail.com. And remember, always always keep keep it salty. salty.